Is it? No. Okay. Wow, that's terrific. Uh, so good to be here tonight. I, I'm, uh, the, uh, my name's Graham. I'm the community pastor here. Uh, but we've had a bunch of grandchildren, so uh, on Sunday nights, normally I kind of uh, hang out with them and we have our own church at home because we have quite a few of them. We've got 10 uh, grandchildren to 15 that usually join us. So it's a pretty full-on time. I bring out my guitar and play some of the old songs, the old Johnny Cash songs. Slim Dusty, Christian ones of course, and, um, but lovely, it's so good to be here with you and to um, hang out with you. Uh, just a few, uh, a month or so ago I was visiting um, the hospital, we'd been out to Lake Nash which is just inside the Northern Territory border, so um, Pastor Andrew, myself and three others went and uh, we had an amazing time in that desert region, in that community but two young people, uh, Stafford and, and uh, Jaden, um, uh, uh, had a little bub, or um, at least Jaden was uh, just, he's 18 uh, and she's just 16. And uh, they didn't know Jesus, but the RFDS flew them down to Children's Hospital and, and uh, Jaden had a little baby girl, a beautiful little girl, uh, but uh, Gabriel's not very well. That was just four months ago now. Going to see a little shot. To, to, I took this little um, clip uh, at the hospital yesterday because uh, we need a miracle for Gabriella uh, because uh, heart and her lungs are not uh, properly formed. But this will really touch your heart. Thanks, guys. Will that work, Chris? Can you put that on? Good. Let's just watch this little clip. So both Stafford and Jaden gave their lives to Jesus about a month ago. It was all brand new and he's been reading the Bible and he was so excited to tell me all these verses about healing and miracles. And, uh, oh dear, I just feel deeply moved about that little girl. She couldn't stop smiling at me and that's a miracle in itself just for a little girl to smile at Pastor Graham. I tend to frighten little ones but... Um, but she just looked at me and just gave me this big beaming smile. So I'm going, if the, I don't know if something's moving you about the story. Her name's Gabriella. Um, they're not actually going back tomorrow. Uh, it was going to be that. So Pastor Andrew and myself are going up to the hospital because one of the verses that God gave to uh, Stafford was from James chapter 5 that when someone is sick amongst you, call for the elders and uh, if, let them come and anoint with oil and uh, pray a prayer of faith. So um, that's tomorrow at 3.30 we, we plan to go there um, providing uh, COVID restrictions let us in. So I, I just thought we would pray right now. Should we do that? And uh, let's ask the Lord just, I don't know what's going on in you when you see that, but uh, God's doing something at Lake Nash in that community and I spoke to one of the leaders today, actually in the car we connected with uh, Clifford and they're just uh, having a night service up there just to pray for, um, uh, for little Gabriella. Father, we just pause right now. We say thank you as we've been reminded, as we've been worshipping about the greatness of God, that nothing is too hard for you. We thank you that you are a God of miracles. Uh, when we become a Christian, that's the greatest miracle of all. When we're, we're, we're transferred 
transferred from the world of darkness and the demonic and the evil into the kingdom of God. That is a profound and most astonishing miracle. We thank you, Lord, that you also can, can heal the human body and, and make the broken parts work again. And we just bring baby Gabriella to you, Lord, and we just want to just invite many people to join in on this prayer journey and ask you, Lord, to, to profoundly, supernaturally touch her body. Uh, we know the doctors can't do anything more for her. So together, collectively, we lift our voices to you tonight. Can we do that together? Can we, I don't know if you do pray together out loud, but could we lift our voices just for a little bit and you just call out to God what's on your heart. Speak it out. Don't hold back. Let's all pray together, shall we? Just lift your voice right where you are. Let's all pray. Father, we just pray that you would just do something astonishing, Lord, in this little girl, that you would transform her, that you would bless Stafford, Lord, and Jade, and encourage them, Lord, and build them up in their faith, Lord. And I pray that you'll call all the people in to build that prayer team. Father, do a mighty work, we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for hearing these short prayers. We thank you, Lord, that right through history you've demonstrated the power of God. I've seen it in my own family, with my own children, where, where our children have been supernaturally healed. So we lift this little girl to you now and pray that you'll bless them, Stafford and Jaden, as young parents, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you for, for participating in that. You just might want to take that little girl, the image of her on the screen there, uh, that God would just do a mighty miracle as, as they look to the Lord then. Well, we're going to, uh, as Matt said, I slightly got the uh, title mixed up. Instead of looking out, I got shining out. Well, when you do get a little bit old, you get a little bit um, befuddled about everything that's going on. Um, so uh, that's what we're going to look at tonight, just this subject of looking out and uh, shining out. It's very, very powerful. In the last three years, we've been located at the plaza, um, in fact, in three shopping centres, but particularly we started at the plaza. And I have been deeply affected and moved by the power of presence. I've always been a proclaimer of the good news. My dominant gift is evangelism. Um, but in the last three years, I've seen God do stuff that I never imagined that would happen. And it hasn't necessarily come initially by words, it's come by presence. About us just being in that space, we, space we are uniform. We do have eight chaplains all together serving the plaza, Kapalaba Central and down at Cleveland. And I have seen people just walk down you know, the aisles, if you like, in the shopping centre and they're walking straight and all of a sudden they start walking to, towards me. It's quite wonderful to see. It's, not, you know, it's just God at work in that space drawing and calling people to himself. And we've just had the joy of seeing people give their lives to Jesus. Just had a young lady, just, um, uh, uh, just what well, I call her young, she's 40, a little bit over 40, I call that very young actually, and she walked up and had been walking by about 10 times and Andrea and I were, were able to go and be with her and her mother on uh, Thursday night to have a meal and introduce the chosen to her, which is the story about Jesus. The power of light shining, the power of salt being sprinkled, it is incredibly profound and lives are really impacted through the influence of a life that's lived in public space. Uh, there was a man called Arthur Stace. You've probably heard about him. I might have mentioned him before. But on the 6th of August, 1930, Arthur, a, con a guy who was an illiterate drunk, made a terrible mess, spent time in prison, just all that sort of stuff, found Jesus Christ, became a fully devoted follower of the Lord Jesus. It radically changed him. He immediately gave up drink and his life was completely turned around. But two years later, there was an evangelist in Sydney. His name uh, was John Ridley and he was speaking at a Baptist church in Sydney on the subject of eternity. And this is what he said, eternity, eternity. I wish I could sound, uh, could sound a shout of eternity through the streets of Sydney. Uh, you've got to meet it. 
where will you spend eternity? And Arthur Stace was sitting in the back and tears started to run down his cheeks as he heard this word eternity because in the book of um, Ecclesiastes it says eternity is in the hearts of all of us. It's a sense that we're not here for the short term. There's something big that we're all going to face. It's the eternity, the forever. And so he found a piece of chalk and this illiterate guy who could barely write his name went out onto the pavement and wrote the word eternity. You can see him up there. He photographed him writing in perfect copper plate script the word eternity. He then went on to write that 500,000 times um, on the pavements of Sydney. And um, many, many, many people were impacted by by that. In fact, there's a plaque in the centre of Sydney uh, with that same script on it, identical to the script. But at the turn of the millennium, you know, on on December 31st, 1999, when it was a turnover into the, into the new millennium, what came up on Sydney Harbour Bridge was the word altogether, eternity. There it was. This insignificant guy who was profoundly impacted by Jesus and through that one word, the humble thing, he said, I felt called to go to the streets and write that word eternity. So before the sun came up very early in the morning, I think he did that for some 35 years, just faithfully writing the word. How good is that? And God takes the ordinary people of this world to impact uh, the world around us through the power of obedience and living the life. You might say to me, you know, Graham, we're entering into this alpha season, you know, I'm not quite sure who I'm going to invite. Uh, I I feel very inadequate. Well, join the... Join the crowd, we all feel inadequate, but my, we've got good news living inside of us when we come to Jesus. And this is what Paul said in the book of Corinthians, chapter 1. He said, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. God just uses you in the way that God has hardwired you. God has hardwired me in a very particular way and he uses me accordingly. But it's the same Christ who lives within us that does the work, expressing his life through us, like with Arthur Stace, a converted um, alcoholic. Isn't it remarkable that Jesus chose some ordinary people? In fact, there were initially there were just fishermen, you know, just tradies, just ordinary, uneducated guys. They knew fishing; that was what they did. And Jesus came to them to to Simon Peter and Andrew initially in Matthew 4. So what is the lead in here? Chapter 4 leads into chapter 5. And it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, and they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. So Jesus took the raw material of these fishermen, a whole bunch of people from different walks of life and in a sense he's saying, I want to express my life through you. I know that you haven't been educated, you haven't gone through your bar mitzvah, you kind of flunked that at 12, you know, you didn't go on to become a a Levitical priest, you're a fisherman but I want you to come follow me and I will train you and I will teach you how to be fishers of men. Well, then that was chapter 4, but then in chapter 5, Jesus lays down the framework of what a Jesus follower would look like. It's interesting, he went up onto the mount in chapter 5, it says he went up onto this hill and he began this extraordinary 2,000 word message called the Sermon on the Mount to unpack what a Jesus follower would look like. 
the introduction to this character expression of what a Jesus follower would look like, irrespective of your background, whether or not you're a converted drunk or you've been to church all your life or whoever you are, this is the, this is the print, this is the character trait of a Jesus follower. And so I'm going to read this because it's almost like Jesus is saying to his new followers, this is what it's going to be like. And I'm going to shape you and make you into this kind of person. So this is what it says. It starts with the Beatitudes. This is the introduction then to this profound and incredible message of the character of a Jesus follower. This is what it says. When he saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's interesting that I think the, the first thing that Jesus does is, in a sense, just unpack what a, a Jesus follower looks like what is a kingdom lifestyle look like and it's really in a sense there's eight character traits which are on the screen there that I wanted to walk through because it seems to me like there's a cycle here where there's a beginning and there's a process moving from one step to the other these steps actually will continue throughout your life but they would go deeper like a corkscrew, so you engage initially at point number one, then you move through. It seems like Jesus is unpacking the steps into the kingdom and how to live in the kingdom of God, but it's not just one cycle only. There is the perpetuating of that cycle that you return back and continue to grow deeper to him. So step number one, (coughs) Jesus, as he Uh, has called these um, fishermen and a bunch of others just like you and I. And it may be that tonight you've never entered into the kingdom of God before. You say, Pastor Graham, how do you do do it? Where does it start? How can I navigate my way into letting Jesus Christ be the king of my life? Now, I was in church for a long time. I was in church for 21 years, actually, before I got this. And I'm very grateful for my background, very grateful that I had some good teaching and modelling from my parents and so on, but I didn't understand kingdom. You know, I felt, just say your prayer, let Jesus come in and kind of, he's kind of a bit of an add-on, you know, a bit of a convenience. And I felt incredibly dissatisfied with that way of life until, uh, well, I was 21 when I understood that Jesus wanted to be my king. So step number one, left a gap up there. Can you tell me what it is? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean to say you have to be financially poor. It doesn't mean to say you're kind of on the streets and living that kind of lifestyle. It really is poor in spirit. It literally means that you are utterly bankrupt. You've come to a place in your life where you've just run out of answers. You've got nowhere else to go. You might be incredibly wealthy, you might have all the money in the world, but deep in your spirit, you are utterly bankrupt. It's hard, Well, in many ways, that's where we've got to get. It's not in many ways, that's where we begin. And I got to that point myself in my 21st year when I realised that there was something fundamentally wrong in my life. And uh, God brought me to my knees. And we get to that space where we just can't do life anymore. And there are millions of people in our world that are perhaps entering into that space and COVID has accelerated that process 
where all the pleasures are just not there anymore, just can't travel and do the things that we normally do. So it could be that God is using COVID and so on to help ripen the the grain, the harvest, so we can get a harvest. And we're certainly finding that in community at the moment. There's an openness to consider Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's the entry point into kingdom is to recognize I'm absolutely, I can't do life alone. There's something wrong with me. It's a recognition of our own personal bankruptcy. There's an absence of life and meaning and purpose. And everywhere you go, there's a sense of um, emptiness. It's uh, that profound emptiness that Blaise Pascal talked about, the French scientist who said, God has created a God-shaped vacuum inside of us and only God can fill that. I've watched people and I, it's hard, in many ways, I was going to say it's hard, but we know that we've got to start there. We've got to get to the end of ourselves almost where we realise we desperately need a saviour. And step number two is blessed are those who mourn. mourn. Number two is mourn. For they shall be comforted. So it's a response to number one. Once we are confronted with our spiritual bankruptcy and bankruptcy in life itself, tears start to run down our cheeks or there's a deep-seated sense of sorrow. The Bible says godly sorrow leads us to repentance. It's an awareness of our sinfulness before a holy God. And we become acutely aware, as I did, as a 21-year-old, when I realised that not only was I bankrupt, but I was utterly a sinful man. And I lived with this sense of regret, even though growing up in a Christian home, I had lots of shame in my life. There's some things that I kept private. And I knew something was, was wrong inside of me and it caused me that deep sense of mourning, that sorrow, that godly sorrow. Dear God, I'm a sinful man. It's a bit like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when he's confronted with the glory of God and he says, woe is me. I'm a sinful man. I'm a man of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And when we become, this is a very critical place we get in our journey into kingdom living is to recognise that we are bankrupt but then before God we are are utterly sinful and it creates godly conviction. You know, one of the things that troubles me over the last probably 10 years, I don't know, perhaps a little bit longer and that is the absence of tears. We've been privileged to go through some revivals where there's been a movement of the Spirit. I just clearly remember in Toowoomba when I was speaking at a youth camp up there and uh, when I gave, I'm not even sure if I gave an invitation, but the young people got out of their seats and they're just on the floor, on their faces, weeping, I mean deeply, deeply weeping from in here because they knew that they were, uh, they were guilty before a holy God. No one, there was no sort of putting down, there was no condemnation, it was conviction. And there's a big difference between condemnation and conviction. And uh, I saw it happen in, in an Aboriginal community over in WA. At a school that I was speaking at, it was the most amazing morning. I've got a great heart for Aboriginal Indigenous people anyway just for Jaden and also uh, Stafford as well. It deeply moves my heart. And they came to church this morning, by the way. It was so lovely to have them here. And I was speaking at this school and something happened in the room. And the Holy Spirit came and settled and the tears started to flow. And they came to the front and they put their head inside their T-shirts because they were so ashamed, so overwhelmed with the holiness of God that was in the room. I pray that we will witness again and afresh a great awakening of the Holy Spirit where sin is seen for what it is. And we will be overwhelmed. We will see like David Brainard did when he was ministering to the North American Indians when they came under such conviction, this young 26-year-old preacher, and he would allow them to be in that morning state for six or seven or eight hours. 
because we can never understand the good news until we understand the bad news. When we are acutely aware that we're under God's judgment and our sin is under his judgment, then we fall on our knees and mourning is a response. That's number two. So this is a kingdom lifestyle. This is the radical life that's lived out in public that people watch and say, what is it about Matt Thomas? There's something about him. Or what is it about N.K. who lives out his life in public space? And people come and say, what is it about you? For there are some conditions for us to absorb and to take on this world of kingdom living. But number three is, blessed are the meek, well done. For they shall inherit the earth. Now meekness is not weakness. We know that, say, from the illustration of Moses, who was the meekest man on all the earth. He had incredible intellect. He had 40 years of training in Pharaoh's university, I'm assuming. Uh, He was just a very smart guy. And and, uh, so he had incredible intellect. And he spent 40 years as well out in the wilderness. So he had a lot of sort of uh, grassroots training there too. Jesus himself was meek. He, he was humble and, and meek in heart. Um, so meekness is not weakness. Meekness is really power under authority or who we are under authority. The best way to illustrate this is a bit like uh, out of the movie The Man from Snowy River. Uh, apparently it's a great movie, but they would take brumbies, that is, horses, and they would have to break them in. An unbroken horse is not useful. And then they were, it was quite a process to break the horse in and then to bridle it so it can be controlled. That's what that means. We get to a place where we surrender and we submit to God's authority. It's all that we are, surrender to all that he is. My life becomes his. My finances become his. My failures, my shortcomings, everything becomes his. And he, in a sense, brings me, and through my active um, choice, come under his authority as king. And he bridles me. He says, Graham, go right. Go left. Graham, you have no more rights anymore. And this is a very crucial place that we come to because in a sense we die to ourselves. It's all about him. That's where I got to at 21. Jesus was my convenience but then he became my king. And you might say, you know, Brother Graham, I'm kind of there now. And what will be expressed in that I don't know if you can see my small letters there, but it's like a baptistry down here where you go into the water and it was a beautiful image just Sunday, two Sundays ago with that young girl. Beautiful story of her getting baptised. You know, it was an 89-year-old lady in the congregation was so touched by that, she said to me on Thursday morning, I want to get baptised too. If that little girl can get baptised, why can't I? She's not actually in the kingdom yet, but uh, she's already understands it's going to cost her everything. So in this progression, as we draw the arrows around as it is on the board, blessed are the meek, for theirs is the, is the um, they will inherit the earth. There's a, you become a very trustworthy person. So resources he gives to you because he, know, he knows that they won't stick. Your house belongs to him. Your bank balance belongs to him because you've come to this place of absolute surrender. You knew what it was like to be bankrupt. You know what it's like to mourn and to, to shed your tears over your own brokenness and sin. Now you come to Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I present my life to you. It's all yours. I don't know if you're there yet. This is a very pivotal point, point number three. It's very crucial to come to a place where we surrender and allow Jesus to be the king and to bridle us so we're just led by the Spirit. He guides us and shows us what to do. So on our inside-out story or shining out or, what's the word? Looking out. You actually live it, and I'm telling you now, 
it is the most powerful thing for someone to model the kingdom lifestyle. Actions always speak louder than words. words. But we need words. You must always speak as well, but it almost must be backed up by the kingdom lifestyle. But then as we move progressively around, because this is going to be, for you, very pivotal, because we're called as a church to be the ecclesia. And ecclesia is a very interesting word. The word E-K is the word for church. This is the word for church. It means called out of. E-K means out. Kaleo, which is the other part of the word, is that we're called out to be radically different, not to compromise. We are different people. We do relationships different. We don't sleep together before we're married. That's not what we do. We follow God's ways and we model it by the Bible, which is our wonderful manual. Can I hear an amen? amen? This is an incredibly good book. It's not a kind of a condemning book, but it's a convicting book where we live out our life as radical Jesus followers. Then we get to this next one, which is, what do you reckon it might be? Hungering after righteousness. So it's hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now it's very interesting is that once you come to that bridal position, once you're in a place of meekness and it's all about him, it's not about you, then you start to study your Bible and say, I wonder how I should live right in a wrong world. I wonder what, what it is that God requires of me in relationships. I wonder how I should conduct myself at work and in public space. And it's an amazing thing that God will give us the blueprint for life and for living. We become incredibly hungry for God's word. It's the outcome. Those four characteristics are kind of vertical. They're the vertical steps that we take that affect, in a sense, I could probably put a line straight through the centre here and say the first part has to do with our dealings with God. But the next four are the, verti- are the horizontal that flow out of who we are. So we start to hunger and thirst. We start to read our Bibles and start to live right in a wrong world. And God's Word is the most powerful book. I don't know if you are sitting or seeing yourself so far in the circle. Every one of us is in the circle tonight. You'll be pitched at one point and and hopefully moving from one to the other because we are progressively becoming. Sometimes we can be stuck. I was stuck at that for a long time. And the Lord said, come on, Graham. You're going to give it up? You're going to let me take control? You're going to let me be your king? You're going to let me direct you? And uh, I was dead set scared about evangelism or reaching out. I tell you now, I didn't know what to say. And it troubled me that I was so sterile. And I said, Lord, what's wrong with me? I read the Acts of the Apostles, but those guys seem to have something that I don't have. And it was out of all of that that I saw a guy just witness one night at a squash match and I said, how did you do that? How did you just talk? And he said, what do you know about the Holy Spirit? And I said, well, I've been reading. I just know something's wrong. And it was that night when the Lord Jesus said, Graham, let me take control. Give me the right let me bridle you let, you, let me fill you with power and I'll do something through you that will absolutely astonish you. That's what he loves to do. Little old us, with all our frailty and weakness and mistakes that we've made and you're looking at Mr. Mistake here and God says, Graham, let me show my glory through you. Let's go to number five because there can be some metaphors that will flow out of this. And it goes on to say, Blessed are those uh, who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. It will fill your heart and you will just love to do what is right. Then it goes on to say something to do with M, which is number five. What do you think that might be? 
Blessed are the merciful, merciful. For they shall receive mercy. In other words, once you've tasted mercy, what do you want to do? You want to share it. That's right, NK. You'll just want to reach out to others because someone said evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to get some bread. <laughs> yeah, you just absolutely, you just say, man, I've just found it. It's like going to a good coffee shop. These, these people are addicted coffee people. And, and so am I a little bit. You know when you find a bad coffee, don't you? You don't go back there again. But it's like this, this once you receive mercy, once you've experienced mercy, the mercy of God, and there are two words that deeply move me. It's grace and mercy. Think how God has expressed his mercy and said, Graham, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. Mercy. And grace is God, well it's grace, it's unmerited favour. And once you find it, then you can go and share it. So the night that I was brought to this place of brokenness, of surrender, and I yielded to him and he started to hunger after, I could never understand the King James Version Bible. But, you know, that's what I was given. And I got a new Bible that I could understand. I couldn't put it down. It's a very healthy response, isn't it? As Jesus followers to find a Bible that we can actually understand. And I went straight to the streets and started to un- just show mercy. Because once you've tasted something, you just want others to have it as well. And this becomes your DNA as a kingdom Jesus follower. This is what we do. We're merciful people. Amen? Can we say that? We just show. No, it's not judgment. We go with these arms outstretched, and that's why we love public space. And I'm a streets and lanes person. I'm probably more happier outside in the streets than I am inside the church. I shouldn't even say that. I'm a pastor. should be doing the right thing. I say to some of these guys, come on, let's go to the streets. Because there's a whole bunch of people out there that are looking for mercy. 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 And to walk with people through the cycle, as they start to cry. Oh, we could tell you so many stories and you could tell me your stories of how people respond to mercy and they know Jesus is loving on them and you watch it as the Holy Spirit opens their eyes and they can see Jesus through you. That's amazing. That's mercy. Think uh, John C knows we kind of go around the circle because this is how it works. You're just a kingdom follower, just living out the life. It's Jesus on the mountain saying, he's got his young blokes, so the young guys there, and they're probably in their late 20s, early 30s. He's saying, come follow me. This is what it's going to look like, fellas. He came get quite a long talk and 18 subjects later, if you know what I mean, He gets to number six and he says, blessed are the, what do you think it might be? Pure? Pure of heart. Pure of heart. Pure. What does it say? You will. What will be the outcome? You will see God. Can you see, have I spelt it all right? Pure in heart you will actually see God. Can I suggest to you that when God starts to use you reflecting mercy out into the public place and your workspace, because that's what you do, because that's who we are. We've just got the same DNA as the Lord Jesus, his Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we've got a wonderful Father, an incredible Saviour and a beautiful Holy Spirit all working on our behalf. How good is that? And we reflect his glory. And sometimes in the advent of us showing lots of mercy and people coming to Christ and lives being changed, it's a real test of the heart. And he will 
unveil a little bit of your heart as you move along about purity, about your motives, whether or not you did that to get a little bit of, you know, something. And always had a pure motive there. It's a good check, isn't it? These are eight character traits of a Jesus follower. Pure of heart. And actually, as we are pure in heart, we get to see what God's doing. And you're in a public space and your eyes are open, you can actually watch what God is doing. Because Jesus said, only do what I see my Father doing. As you engage with the Father. This is Jesus, a wonderful mentor and trainer. And so on, he says, just do what I do. Just open your eyes, pure in heart. It's not, nothing about you. It's all about him. You've passed through those first earlier steps and it's now as you are pure in heart and God will test your heart and he tests my heart all the time because what he longs for me is to be pure, absolutely pure, pure, full of light. And the joy of it is that he's transforming us from one glory to another by his spirit. How good is that? He's the great um, miracle worker that takes us from our brokenness like Arthur Stace where he just do one thing faithfully for the rest of 35 years is to write eternity. Well, whatever it is that God's called you to do, if there's some specific task, but we all radiate glory in public space and people are impacted by that. We'll get to that in just a moment. So, blessed are the pure in heart. What is the next one? Number seven. We're getting there. Come on. This is good. Number seven. <laughs> blessed are those who are the... Starts with P. Peacemakers. Well done. I'll give you a jelly bean. Peacemakers. No, I won't. I'm telling a lie. Blessed are the peacemakers for they are... shall be called... Sons of God. You're actually reflecting exactly what Jesus is like. You're just doing, you're not a troublemaker, you are a, you're a peacemaker. You're, you're a reconciler. You're the one that wants to help people be reconciled in family, broken family, stuff like that. But it's more than that. It's more a ministry of reconciliation. You'll help people be reconciled to God. You happen to be the middle person in between. You're the, the one who's revealing something of God's glory. You're a son or daughter of God. And, you know, John chapter 1 verse 12, that says, uh, you know, uh, to, to as many as he came, uh, to those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. You just do what your father does. That's the DNA. You just, it's a ministry of reconciliation. It's peacemaking. It's helping people to be reconciled to God but also to be reconciled to one another. It's the incredible DNA of us kingdom Jesus followers and this is profound. This is counterculture. This is the radical nature of how he's called us to live and sometimes in the midst of that, number eight, it begins with P. It's a hard one. Persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It began with the kingdom. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit for those. theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you're just reflecting something of the king and it will happen. You will be persecuted. Can I tell you a story? You've all heard of John Wesley, that radical Jesus follower of the 1700s, mid-1700s. He was really, you know, a remarkable history tells us he probably helped or saved England from going through a revolution like France went through, simply through the preaching of the gospel. So he was the founder of Methodism. And um, he was greatly persecuted. And uh, in fact, it became almost like a way of life for him. And he was riding his horse. He did 100,000 miles on horseback. He used to prepare his sermons on the back of the horse, very well-trained horse. Maybe the horse might have preached one or two sermons for him. I don't know, but um, <laughs> like Balaam's donkey. But he was riding along on his horse one day and he said, I haven't been persecuted today. I must have done something wrong. And he pulled the horse up and he got down on his knees. True story, I don't want to make light of it. He said, Heavenly Father, 
It's, today's been too easy. I've had no pushback today. I've had no persecution today. And the story is told that on the other side of the hedge there was a, a drunk guy who was recovering from an all-night binge, heard John Wesley praying and picked up a rock and threw it at John Wesley. And John Wesley said, Praise the Lord. My prayers have been answered. Now, I can, that's a little bit on the light side because it, when it does happen to you, it's not easy, is it? Have you copped a little bit of pushback at university, school, family? What are you doing? You're weird. One bloke say to me in a, with all the engineers, a dozen engineers in the room, this bloke said, just want to say, I don't want to work with Graham Circum. He's a religious fanatic. And here I am, just 23 years of age, thinking all my journey, since I stepped into the kingdom here, I've just copped this flag, this pushback. Had some wonderful blessings as well. I was able to pray with one of the apprentices in the aeroplane and he gave his life to Jesus all because we couldn't start this bolt. And I said, you want to see a miracle? He said, yes, Graham. I said, all right, let's pray. And when I put my spanner on the bolt, it went straight in. His eyes bugged open. I said, Jesus can do a miracle for you too. And so this guy responded. It was in work time, so it was a bit sad there, but anyway. But you'll get pushback, persecution. All those who are godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's the name of the game. I don't know where you are in the cycle. I don't know if you pitch yourself at kind of um, wherever you are, but if you're, uh, even before you become a follower of Jesus, you have to be kind of be up in this space here. And maybe there is a sense of self-confidence and you're kind of doing life well. But uh, we need to come to that place of real surrender and Jesus shines out through us. I need to move really quickly because there's a couple of metaphors that Jesus went on to say. So once you've got the lifestyle issue understood, once this is on the outward journey, this is shining out, which is my mistake of using that word, but it comes from inside out in a public space that your presence carries enormous amount of power. Can I hear an amen? amen. It will shine. You will shine when, you, when you're intentionally choosing to live for him without a word being spoken. Can I just tell you one story? I know sometimes when you, at my age you get lots of stories popping into your head. It's a bit of a worry, isn't it, Matt? Keep me accountable here. But this dear lady, you know, uh, before I kind of, I just knew I was called to do something and I don't know quite what it was, but this lady, darling Rose, came to our church, just like a young adults group it was, and, and she shared, and um, I've shared this before. I often forget what I share, but I share, uh, but this lady was shining. And she'd been persecuted, terribly persecuted in Irian Jaya. She was beaten every day for a period of time by the, the Japanese and just during the Second World War. They thought she was an American spy. And she would never cry. Just a beautiful woman. When I looked at her, I thought I, thought I was looking into the face of Jesus. I just couldn't get my eyes. I thought, whoa, there's something about her. And she said right at the end of her message, young people, what Jesus has done for me, he can do for you. And I said, I want that. And uh, she closed in prayer. And that's when Jesus put his hand on my shoulder and said, I want you. But I went and gave her a big hug afterwards. And I said, oh, Mrs. Rose, that was just amazing tonight. She whispered something in my ear that I've never forgotten and I want to bring it to you. Don't get sidetracked. Stay the course. You're a kingdom person. Don't lose your direction. And Jesus said, you are the light of the, you are the salt of the world. You are, it salt, loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It's good for, it's not good for anything. It's said to be thrown out and trampled by man. Listen, if you compromise this, you'll just become a person who's lost its saltiness. This is the metaphor flowing straight out of character. This is what a kingdom Jesus follower looks like. He's saying, Graham, it's pretty, it's pretty full on, isn't it? Well, it is. 
because you're following him now. But don't lose your saltiness. Don't compromise to the world. We're to be radical Jesus followers and simply sprinkling salt. One little tiny pinch of salt can make a huge difference. And so what flows out of this lifestyle is the power of salt. As it's up there, it's very, very potent. The potency of a life lived, an uncompromised life lived. But then we go to talk about this, the light of the world is extremely powerful as well. So these are the two metaphors that Jesus closes out with. He says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your lights shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise God who is in heaven. It's, it's, it's incredibly powerful because it's, it's very personal. You are, you're it, you're living the life. You're either a good light or a bad light, but lights are very, very powerful. And um, I thought we might do a bit of an exercise right at the end of this deal, um, if that's possible, and, um, and that is just to simply do that. You know, just one little light. We used to sing that little song, this little light of, I'm going to let it shine. His salt is, is very, very different. And the Romans used to take the salt, the old salt, and they used to uh, kind of uh, put it on the road and when it was useless and it used to kill the weeds. It's trampled underfoot by men. But you are the light of the world. It's personal. But it's also incredibly public. You don't put it under a bushel. You put it on top of a hill. Who is so glad to be a Jesus follower. How good is this? The name's in the book. You've got a purpose in life to live for. It's, it's very personal. But it's very public. You've got to get out of the building. You've got to get out of your skin <laughs> and shine for him. It's very practical that you do good things. You do good works. You mow your neighbor's lawn or you kind of do things to help and that's what Jesus says. Just go do some stuff and Make it practical. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify God who is in heaven. But it's also very purposeful because they give God the glory. They know exactly where it's coming from because your words back up your life and your witnessing for him. And throughout the series, it's going to be that, you. How powerful is this? If we turn all the lights out, we might do a little bit of a thing at the end if you've got an iPhone. Not yet. But we might turn all the lights out and I'm going to tab Matt and he's going to tab someone else and see how quickly the light will grow around the room if you've got the app on your phone. Light. The kingdom of God is incredibly persuasive. Lived out in front of others, for those who have walked through the cycle. But salt is incredibly potent and light is incredibly penetrating it unveils and shows up darkness. And that's what we've been called to do. Can I just close out just with a little question? Where are you? What's, what's going on? Are you in the kingdom yet? This is not easy believism. This is not putting your hand up to say a prayer. This is a lifestyle. An amazing lifestyle where Jesus is the king. And I'd like to pray a prayer just as we finish up right now. And then uh, Esther and the team are going to come. We'll move the board away. And uh, if you want to do business with God tonight, come on, let's do it. You know, Sundays are all about Monday. Let's get out there and shine the light and sprinkle some salt. But it comes out of a kingdom lifestyle. Shall we just pray? And then I'll get the team to come. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you're doing. 
in the room. We thank you that you're the one that does the transformation, but we've got to lean in and agree. If there are those here tonight, Lord Jesus, that are step number one where they're just realizing they're utterly bankrupt, they've run out of answers, And I pray, Lord Jesus, that those who are overwhelmed with their own life and past and sin, thank you, Lord, that you never condemn, but you always convict. If we've got to do business tonight because of some stuff that's hidden away in a corner somewhere, unconfessed, something that's said or done that's not been confessed or dealt with, would you give us courage to deal with that? If you've never broken us, would you break us tonight? If we've never understood meekness and what it means that we place our lives under authority and all that we have and we bend our knee and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm stubborn, I'm such a willful person, I've lived life my way and I, I just am so aware of my own selfishness and sinfulness and my pride and my arrogance and my self-focus, Jesus, I just want to lay it down and let you be the king and me get off my throne and let you reign and rule over every part of my life, my, 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 my money, my, my schooling, my university, my family, my, my, um, my business, my broken relationships. I just want to lay it all down because I don't know what to do, but you do and That you give us, you give us inheritance. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to hunger and thirst after righteousness, that we'll have a growing love for the Bible and doing right in the wrong world. And Lord, wherever we are on this continuum, that you will help us to step out from this building tonight, knowing that we are definitely, absolutely in the kingdom of God. If that's if that's you and you just want to say this prayer, there's a big prayer to pray. Would you pray it with me? Let Jesus be your king. Would you, this is where it all starts in this looking out, this shining out story. It starts with God shining in. Could you just say this with me? In your heart, Lord Jesus. I want to be like, like that. I want to be a kingdom person. And I just come. Just like the disciples were so imperfect and so utterly broken, but I just, I come as well. Jesus, I want you to be my king. I want you to reign over me and rule over me. And I want to surrender tonight. And Lord, if I haven't been baptized, I want to get baptized. I want to declare that Jesus Christ is my King. Help me to do something about this and to speak up about it. And I know that you're going to shine the light and sprinkle the salt. And people are going to be impacted because Jesus as King lives in me. Thank you. Your power.